Yes, I'm still here, Hollywood. Just ahead on today's episode. It was very, very cruel that first season. And that's kind of what made the show such a hit, was how mean Simon was. People ask me about Idol, what are your regrets? I think the honest answer that I can give you is I regret going on the audition. Randy stood up and it looked like he was gonna knock Simon out. People come to Hollywood from all over the world to chase their dreams of being a star. For many, the hope is that they'll end up on one of the biggest shows in the world. Today's guest got that dream job, co-hosting the first season of what became the massive television hit, American Idol. But he went from being an uber-famous overnight success to driving an Uber. This is Still Here Hollywood. I'm Steve Kometko. Join me and my guest, Brian Dunkelman. Brian, you were born and raised south of Buffalo, near Buffalo. Yes, about 50 miles south of Buffalo, Ellicottville, New York, a village of one streetlight. I looked up the name, and it's as though it was three names put together. Ellicottville. Ellicottville, named after Joseph Ellicott. Really? It's just ma- It sounds magical, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does. was an old fur trading post. That's how it started. There's a very popular ski resort there called Holiday Valley. A lot of people have been there. They refer to it as the Aspen of the East. The only difference is there are no mountains, <laughs> and I'm the biggest celebrity that's ever been there. I see. Other than that, it's very similar. How much influence did growing up in a small town have on you? All the influence in the world. And you your know, career? I am still, well, I don't know about the career, but uh, the, I still am best friends with all the people that I went to junior high and high school with, which is pretty rare, I find. We just went to a Buffalo Bills game, the Miami Dolphins-Buffalo Bills game. We've done this three years in a row where we've all gotten together, and usually it's an away game, but we'll get, a, we'll get a house and rent it, and we're in a fantasy football league together, so we're really, really still very close. I used to work with a fellow who was from Buffalo. Yeah. He was our floor director when I was at E, and he lived and died for the Bills. Oh, boy. It's, it's, you know, my son was born in California, so he was kind of a, very excited when the Rams made the Super Bowl, and so he came over and he watched, and the Rams won, and he's screaming around. And I was really happy for him. And then the next day, I was just angry. I was like, oh, you had to wait nine years <laughs> to have this joy? So I, I don't try to push the bills on him, but I, I, why am I going to give him this lifelong pain? It's not easy. I'm from Chicago. Try being a Cubs fan. Wow, Cubs, your Bears aren't looking too good this oh, year either. Oh, boy. <laughs> but the Cubs finally broke through and won one. Yeah. It's going to happen. It was All only I need 100 is one. years. All I need is one, and that's it. It's my bucket list to play in the And they were the there so many times uh, the Super Four Bowl. in a row. Four in a row. By the last one, nobody was even excited. We were just like, no. And I was too drunk to remember the end of the game after the first one. So, How is life right now? Life is really, really good. I, I know it's, it could be hard for some people to believe, but I, I have, for the first time, really, really think I'm, I'm hitting my stride as a human being. I feel like uh, this kid has changed my life, stepping away from the business for a while to raise him, and now stepping back, I really feel like I'm doing my best work, and um, I'm knocking on the door, and I think it's just a matter of time, but I'm really, really enjoying myself right now. Do you ever have any regrets? The one answer that I can really give you truthfully is people ask me about Idol, what are your regrets? I think the honest answer that I can give you is I regret going on the audition because I was building a resume as an actor. I had just guest starred on Friends. It was my first guest starring role. I had a development deal for my own uh, sitcom with Castle Rock 
it didn't get picked up, but um, I, I, we had decided that I wasn't going to go in on any hosting. I was really going to commit because that's what I've always wanted to do. I've done stand-up, but I wanted to be an actor. And uh, somebody that I pitched to at Fox requested me to come in and audition for Idol. So if I wouldn't have auditioned, I either would have gone on to have the successful acting career that I wanted or I might have just given up and would have been 15 years into another uh, profession or life and wouldn't have known any different. But it's kind of my motivation now because I can't quit because then I'm just going to forever be that guy as long as I keep trying. Weren't you a finance major one time? I was a finance major. Well, you know what? I, I, I decided I didn't want any part of that uh, that backstabbing, disgusting, cutthroat industry, so I got in show business instead. Hmm. None of that in show business. No, it's just hug town. <laughs> well, yeah, they're insincere, <laughs> but there's hugs. Yes. I thought about getting my real estate license, and, and you know what? I read. I got the book, I read one chapter, and I threw it away. It's just not who You I didn't am. fall asleep first? <laughs> no. I would have. Uh, my eyes were getting a little droopy, but uh, <laughs> it's just not what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, a lot of people, well, what's the definition of insanity is you, 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 the same behavior expecting a different result. Well, that describes quite a few people that are in this town, doesn't it? Uh, but I've had a lot of opportunities. You know, I've, I've, I'm still working. I, I, I took some time off, but in the last year or two, I've, you know, I, I just had a, did a pilot for my own show with my name in the title. So I know I'm on the right track. When people come up to you and recognize you, What's the first thing they ask? What's the first thing? They usually ask me, is Simon really that mean? Is he? That's the first. No, he's a really nice guy. Great sense of humor. I really liked Simon. Even when in you know, the commercial breaks, he'd say to me, you know, I know you're insulting me and I should be upset, but I love it. It's brilliant. When can I come see you to stand up? So I really enjoyed my time with Simon. What is the question you hear most frequently? Is it the Simon question? Usually it's the Simon question. Am I allowed to ask about Ryan? Sure. <laughs> you want to know? You can cut this if you want. I don't, it's up to you. Okay. But the one question people ask me is, you know, this is no secret. People ask if he's gay. And? and I, I, I can tell you right here, honestly, I don't know for sure. All I know is that when, when I banged him, he didn't seem to be that <laughs> into it. And that's one of the jokes from the act. <laughs> How long We're did all, it last? <laughs> <laughs> it's all in fun. It's all in fun. I had a really great opportunity to see Ryan for the first time since the last show we did together when, when we did the, the Fox finale. Fox asked me to come back and be a part of their finale, their fake finale. I thought the show's finally over. Our long national nightmare is over. And then they, uh, then they went on to another network. But I did have a chance to really have a genuine uh, experience with him and kind of I don't know if there really was a, a hatchet to bury, but it was very sincere, and I, I enjoyed that interaction with him. Take me back to the beginning of American Idol. How did that all come about? Well, I, I, I had a development deal for my own sitcom, and I always joked I'll get my, a deal for my own sitcom and the world will end. Well, I got my deal something like September 7th, 2001, and then obviously September 11th happened. And, you know, there were barricades up in front of Paramount because that's obviously who Al-Qaeda was going to take out next, the studios. But they didn't, you know, it was a weird year. They didn't buy maybe one-third of what they usually do. But the pitches all went very well. And so somebody from Fox remembered, and I was building a little bit of an acting resume. So they had seen almost, I think, over 3,000 people all over the country for this job. And um, they called me in, and that's why I was like, well, okay, I'm not going to upset Fox. I'll go in on this hosting thing. And just ended up getting lucky and getting it. And literally, like a day later, I was on the set. 
Give me your impressions of Randy Jackson. Loved Randy. Such a nice guy. Loved his wife, loved his kids. That guy is exactly what you see. Just a really, really sweet guy. I dog, really dog, dog. Oh, dog. <laughs> I used to joke, I like, you know, Randy Jackson's watch costs more than my car. And I was like, well, I guess 2500 isn't that much to spend on a, on a watch. But he was a really cool guy. Paula, look, Spring Break 89, that's when her album hit. Paula Abdul was a big deal. Huge. Huge deal. So to me, that's what was, I was really most excited about was knowing that I was going to get to work with her. And what a sweetheart she is. I just adore, I just adore Paula. And I got to see her at the, uh, at the after party after the Fox finale. Kiss me full on the lips twice, Steve. Wow. I thought, do I have a chance? Do I have a shot with Paula? If there's not a picture, it didn't happen. That's well, exactly. (laughs) Everybody else has got their camera phones on all the time, but not that night. You know, in Miami, this is a true story. We went out to a club and we were all dancing and Paula Abdul and I had a dance off. We had a duel and and, and, like everybody separated into a big circle and it was consensus that I won. That's all I'm saying. That's the way I remember it, Steve. So that's what happens. I'm sticking to it. (laughs) When I went in on the audition, they just kind of randomly put us two at a time to go in for the casting director, and they said, "Would you please, you know, hang out? All the executive producers are going to come. They're on the other side of town. We're going to have you audition again." And I thought, "Sure, no problem." Um, Now, Steve, they ran out of parking validation stickers, and I was specifically told parking would be validated. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. I started walking. I'm like, I'm, I'm out of here. Because it's a, it's a, you know, an out-of-work broke actor. You're, you got a lot of auditions. And, you know, eight bucks is eight bucks when you're broke. And I, I stopped myself. And I thought, what are you, stupid? Go back and sit down and just wait. And I really think about that a lot. That's one of those crossroads in life. What if I actually would have left? I would have never had this happen. None of this would have ever happened. But um, they kept putting us, uh, I did real well. You know what I did? I, I don't know, remember what I said, but I screwed up. I screwed up a line. I said something ridiculous, and I just kept repeating it. And like it's like it's all the years of watching Letterman. You know, Letterman would always embrace that very self-esteem. That's pretty much probably my comedy hero. I grew up watching Letterman. That's what really made me want to get into comedy. And uh, one of the executive producers laughed. And he told me later on, he's like, that's what really made me like you because you screwed up and you just embraced it and you owned it. So um, then I tested the next day. And for what, if people don't know what a test is, you basically do your contract. And then you go and you audition. There's probably six or seven other, other people there. So you know exactly how much you're going to lose if you don't get this gig. So it was a lot of pressure, but they just kept pairing us up and pairing us up. And then they put me back with a guy I'd already been in with. And um, it went really well. And then I got... I got home and I immediately started drinking because it was the most stressful experience of my life. But when, when I was in that room, I got a laugh pretty early on. And, and, and there was a lot of people. You couldn't really see them. It was almost kind of like a little stadium seating. And I don't know, that all those years of stand-up just kicked in. I had them. And I just put them in a headlock and I wasn't letting go. So when they put me with this other guy again, I didn't know who it was, but one of the executive producers came around and he said to the other guy, he's like, now you drive the train. He looked at me, he's like, you just just back off a little bit because I was not going to let go of him because I had him. And then when we left, uh, I went and I went to a buddy's house and I started drinking immediately. And I got a call from the casting director. I didn't even, I didn't pick up the phone, but she couldn't, they couldn't get a hold of my agent or manager, but they're like, can you come back at six o'clock tomorrow morning? I thought there's no way. 
I'm going to pretend I didn't get this. I can't do this again because that was lightning in a bottle. I'm like, this is just going to be another opportunity for me to screw up. Like I can't, I can't do this again. But what they wanted was for me to have uh, breakfast with a guy named Ryan Seacrest, who I guess what they really figured is they they didn't they weren't comfortable giving this gig to two guys that didn't have any broadcast experience at all, and I was just a comic and an actor. Ryan had a very successful uh, radio show, so he he they brought him in and we auditioned together, and it it just kind of clicked. And literally the next day we were working together. And that's when, when people ask, when did you know you didn't want to be a part of it? That day. Really? Yeah, that day, because I was so excited. Really, really excited. This is a big, this is a really big opportunity. And when Seacrest and I walked out, some woman just leaned into me. She's like, get ready for your life to change. And I remember I just went to the car and I just, I called my girlfriend and I just said, I, I got it. I just started bawling. I was like, I got, I got it. I know Tears I got of joy? It. Tears of joy and just... You know, all the years of work and just the struggle and, and, and just being exhausted, mentally and emotionally exhausted from the audition process. But there was a point when they were auditioning and it was all fun, but you're spending a lot of time with these kids in the line and you're getting to know them, you're getting to know their parents. There was a stretch for an hour straight where kid after kid after kid came, every one of them was bawling, every single one of them. And I thought, I, I, what, is, what is going on? Why is this happening? At one point, I... I I excuse. I, can I go to the restroom? I just went and found a corner around behind a curtain. I just started crying, and I don't know why it affected me so much. Maybe because I've auditioned so many times. I know how it's not easy. No, it's not easy to put yourself out there. But I, I, I say this in the documentary. There, there, there was a girl that I got to know, and and her father had, was was a carpenter. He had sold his tools to get the money to drive out. They were sleeping in his truck, and she was so excited. And Steve, when she came out of that room. She was, exp- her eyes were dead. She couldn't even talk. She was shattered. And I, I, I think about that girl a lot and I just didn't understand why that was necessary. And that's really, people don't, if they didn't watch, people a lot of say, well, I, I didn't watch the first season. Like I get, the, I get that a lot. But it was very, very cruel that first season. And that's kind of what made the show such a hit was how mean Simon was and, you know, he was hated. He got death threats in England. He comes here and everybody everybody loves the guy. You tried to comfort them. I did. When they came out. I did. <clears throat> but you were um, scolded for doing that. I was. And I look, I don't I'm not here to badmouth anybody, but I can tell you when we were in we were in Chicago, we'd already done LA, we had done Seattle and they had a chance to review a lot of the footage. And before we started, they they, they sat me and Ryan down, Ryan and I, whatever, I dropped out of college. And they said, you know, Ryan, we need you to just can you appear a little bit more sympathetic when these kids come out crying? He's like, got it. So a girl comes out. She's bawling. She runs right up to me. I give her a big hug. That's all. I just hug her. And Ryan comes over and literally rips her out of my arms, puts his arm around her, puts her in front of the camera. Hey, what happened in there? And I was like, what the hell just happened? And I'm looking at the, one of the producers, and he's just like, I thought, what, this is insane. I, it, it just It just got worse and worse as the season progressed. I don't believe that you should set kids up to be humiliated like that. You're putting them in front of camera and I can hear them on there. Oh, this girl, she thinks she can actually sing. We're going to crush her. She's 16. We'll be back for more after this. And I thought, hold on a second. Just so I make sure I'm clear, if these kids, this is a direct quote, if these kids come to this couch feeling like shit, I'm supposed to make sure they continue? 
to feel like shit, he got right in my face, stuck his finger in my chest, and said, You're goddamn right! I was surprised at how close to the surface your emotions are. Hmm. Yeah, you would think Does after that help all with these years. Comedy with stand up? Not really. You know, um, here's the thing. I, I, I saw John Stewart in an interview and he said, You have to stop caring about the audience. And that seems so counterintuitive. Aren't we doing it for the audience? But no. You're doing it for yourself, is what you're doing stand up for. And you can pander and you can get laughs because you can figure out what they want to hear. But if you can really do what you is true to you and what you think is funny and bring them in, it's just so much more satisfying. But like I said, right now, I, I'm 100% focused on acting and I haven't really done a lot of stand-up. I'll go up once in a while in town at uh, Shout Out to Flappers, who's very good to me. But they have a little room. And I, I told them, because I hadn't, I hadn't gone on stage in a while, and I thought, can I just go in your little room and just work stuff out? So they've been really nice to me. Just the amount of traveling, it's just not where I want to be right now. I'm, I'm sure I'll go back to it. But uh, acting is really, really what I want to do. You, you gambled a lot. I did. You, I, I have gambled a lot. Well, I mean, in terms of um, alcohol? Yes. Drugs? Yes. Spend the wheel. Clean living now, Steve. Are you? Is that I, you know under what I, control? You know, what I, you know what I drink now? I drink White Claw Surge, and I'm secure enough in my masculinity to admit that publicly. I have no idea what that is. White Claw, it's like a, it's like a seltzer. Those are, they're very popular, but Surge has an extra 3%, so you get 8%. So on school nights, I'll have a couple of those. It's technically alcohol, but you wake up fresh as a daisy, but I don't, I don't drink like I used to. Well, you couldn't and still be alive. No, and, and uh, no more cocaine for me. That's why everybody's like, what's your advice? Don't do coke. How about that? It's pretty easy. Good advice. Don't do coke the night before live television. It probably won't go well. I, used to, I, I tell people uh, when they ask about having lived in Hollywood, uh, I said Hollywood was good to me, but it was not good for yeah, me. Yeah, that's exactly it. And for a while there around 2000, 2001, 2002, it's like everybody's doing coke or Am I just making sure I'm in the situations where I know I'm going to be around people that are going to have it? You know, you got to understand where I could have been in comedy clubs the whole time, but I wasn't. I Sometimes was people are surprised to hear how available it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's not hard to get. Not no. at all. Now it's just a little white claw surge, maybe a vodka gimlet on occasion. And, uh, you know, weed's not a drug. It's medicine. At least in this state. Yes. God made it. Illinois, too. Is it? Yes. Well, we're getting there as a country. What criteria do you use when looking for a job now? When looking for a job? Uh, will you hire me? <laughs> That's really the criteria that we're looking for. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I want to do what I want to do. But, um, you know, I had a great opportunity before the pandemic. I did a, a live version of The Family Feud. Years ago, Fremantle hired me. In about 2005, they did a residency in... Uh, in um, Atlantic City. So I would go for a couple of weeks and I hosted it and they would pick the, the people right out of the audience and they'd form a family. Well, this time it was the celebrity version. So I ended up on a tour bus and I did not host because I'd been out of the business for a while. They had me come in and be the announcer. So I'd do a little warm up and warm the crowd up and then I was the announcer and they kept my mic hot and they wanted me to interact. Uh, Alonzo Bowden, who is a brilliant comedian, and then uh, Ruben Urban, who, who took over for him halfway through the tour. But it was so much fun and to get to work again after all those years. And that's, you know, that's not really what I want to do, but somebody wanted to pay me to do something. I was like, I'll do it. 
And um, it was really, really fun and gratifying. And I was on a tour bus for a month with Pauly Shore. So, you know, spring break 89, that was Pauly Shore. So all of these people in my life, you know, Paul Abdul, Pauly Shore, I got to, I, I, I've worked with Henry Winkler, you know, Aaron Moran, all these people that I grew up, Willie Ames, it's been really interesting. I, you know what, Steve, so many weird things have happened to me. I'm, I'm really all in on simulation theory. I don't think this is the only, I don't believe in YOLO, not at all. It, things are too weird. You only live once? No, you don't I don't believe think in you, that? I think you live, uh, can you grasp the, the concept of infinity? No, I no, can't. I don't think this ever I'm ends. I'm not that deep. I don't know. I don't. I, I think. I, I think we live multiple lives. You know what I think? I think that this experience for me is is. Um, I think maybe in in another life, maybe I wasn't a very good father. Maybe I was focused on work and money. I don't know. But this life seems almost like some kind of redemption for that. But coming to Hollywood, you can't help but be focused on money and. It's never focused on the money. Success. Well, what's success? What is success? I can't answer that. Look, I wanted to be I wanted to be like Michael Keaton. That's a guy that I perfect example. He started as a stand-up, uh, incredibly funny, brilliant comedic actor and dramatic actor as well. And by by the way, the only the only celebrity I've ever bothered. I've never asked any I never introduced myself to anybody or ever gone but there was a club, a burlesque club called the Forty Deuce. And uh, I was right, he was sitting at the table right next to me, Steve. What am I going to do? Not say hi to Batman? And I just said, I'm so sorry to bother you. And he was so kind. I was like, I just started hosting the show and I'm a comic. And I don't want to bother you. He's just really, really nice. It's the only guy I've ever, I've ever done that to. But um, that's all I really wanted to do. And I saw a quote from him pretty recently where he said, spend as much time you can with your kids. You will not regret it. And he stepped away for a long time. Yeah, he did. He said, did I lose roles? Yeah. But it's, he said, I don't regret it at all. And it's not like I m modeled my life after his, but it's just the way it happened. But he's right. There's no way. And you know what? I have, it was a pretty nasty split and it took a long time, but I, I just chose to forgive and let things go. And we have gone on trips together as a family completely platonic with his mother we went to hawaii a couple of years ago we've gone to disneyland a couple of times i thought whatever semblance i can give this kid of a family i'm gonna do that because i'm an enormous man steve <laughs> that's what it comes down to brag 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 but it really wasn't i just wanted to be i wanted to make people feel the way the people that made me feel something whether it was the, the, I say the first adult movie but that doesn't sound right the first non-kids movie I ever went to my sister took me to see Splash and that's when I first saw Tom Hanks and I just was like this guy is great this is the kind of thing I want to do and when he made me laugh I wanted to make people laugh and then when I saw him make people cry I wanted to be able to, to elicit that response in others so it really wasn't about Everybody thinks that you come out here and you get into this business because you want to be rich and famous. That's just not that's just not the case. That's why nobody nobody believes me. People still think I got fired. I didn't. I wish I would have. It would have made it a lot easier. You Doesn't almost matter. got fired had you stuck around a little bit. Oh, I'm sure I would have. You said that after that was the, already in the works. Well, after the Fox finale, I saw somebody from one of the higher ups at Fox at the time and and and, and he said, "Oh, we were really upset when that decision came down." I said, "Whose decision was it?" He's like, 
because I, I, I didn't get fired. He's like, I know you didn't. We just thought it would be better to go with one than two, and you weren't the one, and you quit before we could tell you. So I, I'm taking him at his word for that. But I didn't know. I thought I made the biggest mistake in, in the history of entertainment. So that was a big moment for me when he told me that. It was like a million pounds off of my back. So, But it doesn't matter. It didn't make a difference. I still didn't work. And you drove for Uber for a while. Sure. I, I, I did a little bit during the strike because I'm committed to acting. I'm not going to be gone. I'm not missing my kids' soccer games. Although I should have missed one a couple weeks. The head coach was out on the assistant, and our kids were just getting beaten up. One kid, the nose didn't stop bleeding. We were down three men at one time. The other team's just spraying. Anyway, I had a couple words for the ref, and I, I just found out that I got a two out of five for sportsmanship. I made an impression, Steve. It's yeah, the lowest score so. anybody's gotten all season. <laughs> two but out I of five. Look, I'm defending my kids. Yeah. So when we got back from the nationwide search, uh, that's when we started doing studio shows. And we would do one performance show that was taped, and then the next night we would have a live show. Well, the first one, I saw Simon and, and Randy. They were drinking some coffee. And uh, there was this really great kid, Jim Verraro. So I'm still in touch with him. We still communicate all the time. He just had a single drop, by the way. Check it out. Jim Verraro's new single is wonderful. Um, great kid. And I hear them. They're like, yeah, we're going to nail Jim. What do, you, what do you mean you're going to nail Jim? He's the sweetest kid in the world. What are you talking about? That's all really, I really heard. So they start. Jim is the first singer. Paula says, oh, you're wonderful. That was great. And Randy's like, dog, you did your thing. Dog, dog, dog. And then Simon said, let's cut the crap. That wasn't nearly good enough. If this was up to me, you wouldn't make it past this round. And if you continue in this, we would have failed at our jobs. And Jim, Jim's like visibly shaken. He's kind of tearing up. And he comes over and he sits down. I put my arm around him. I say, hey, Paula Abdul says you're great. What else matters? And then we threw the commercial in. It's just one of the executive producers. Cut! He pulls me off the set around the corner and he just starts chewing me out, Steve. He's just, yeah, you didn't even, what the F are you doing? You didn't even once mention what Simon said to him, I said. And he's chewing me out. And I thought, hold on a second. Just so I make sure I'm clear, if these kids, this is a direct quote, if these kids come to this couch feeling like shit, I'm supposed to make sure they continue to feel like shit? He got right in my face, stuck his finger in my chest and said, you're goddamn right. And I just could not believe what happened. I go back to the couch and I'm sitting there. I'm just stunned. And then afterwards, they always looked at the tip of your eyebrows. I'm like, just because you just told me my job is to make sure that these kids are feeling terrible. That was the first, the first show when we got back. And then cut two, they kicked Jim off. And then they, oh, I got a friend at call. Well, he's back on the show. Please don't say anything. So I don't know what happened. But he ended up back on the show and then made the final 10. Um, so that, that was really a, a pretty intense experience for me. This is when I'm, I don't like what's going on here at all. And during this time, when the kids are looking at you, what's going on? I have no idea. Uh, we're just talking monkeys compared to everybody else. We're not, I make the fries here. The next show that there, there was a kid, uh, RJ Helton, he sang, same thing, sang great. Paul LeBrand, Simon lit into him again. And there was a very famous fight where Simon and Randy went after after it looks Randy stood up and it looked like he was going to knock Simon out. What Simon said, and I need to be careful about this and, uh, because 
What he said was, we've already let two other monkeys through in this competition. He did not mean it as, as the kid was Hispanic and not black. He didn't mean it as a racial slur. It's kind of like Howard Cosell, look at that little, you know. Yeah. He didn't mean it. It didn't matter. Rand, Randy st- went berserk. What are you talking about? Yeah, you can't call people. And it, it was ugly. The kids were crying. They had to separate them. And I thought, man, he's going to knock Simon out. Tune in next week for part two of my chat with Brian Dunkelman. I don't say I was suicidal because I have too big an ego to ever go through with it. Because that's the, that's the ultimate admission of failure in my situation. I was definitely suicide adjacent. You know, I remember there was one day Kelly was crying. And I, I sat down next to her. I was like, what's going on? She's like, my, I don't think I can sing. My voice is... So I'm like, well, let me go get you, can we get you some tea? We'll get you some honey and some whatever they put that to bath. I know there's like a, tr- a singer's trick. And then one of the producers like, hey, you may not want a good TV. And I'm like, you know, this is a human being, man. And I walked into his dressing room and he got up. He's like, Uncle Man. And I said, I got to get this out. Still Here Hollywood is a production of the Still Here Network. All things technical run by Justin Zangerly. Theme music by Brian Sanishin. And executive producer is Jim Lichtenstein.